Hi, Sally. How was practice? Practice was good. Coach was brutal. Um, are we having company? Why the extra place? There's four. As a matter of fact, I invited someone What? to come over for dinner. You remember the family that lived down the street, the Smiths? I think so. You mean the girl and her mom who got killed in that car crash by their dad? Uh, I'm sure there's more to it than that. Mr. Smith, yeah. After the accident, wasn't he convicted of drunk driving? No, actually he wasn't. Well, that's what everyone else says. So, what does that have to do with dinner? Well, you see, I had lunch today at Seven Saints. And as I was leaving, I ran into him in the alley. <laughs> Luckily, he didn't run into you with his car. Well, he didn't actually run into him. But I sort of saw him going through the dumpster. Ew, yuck. Yeah. I didn't even recognize him at first. I just saw this guy, and I thought, well, the least I can do is offer him my doggy bag. But as I got close, I saw his face. My heart nearly stopped. And your father decided to invite an old friend over for dinner. Actually, Sally, Steve's upstairs taking a shower. What? Here? You mean that drunk driving killer is here now? Now, Sally, the accident happened in a rainstorm, and it's never been proven he was driving drunk. Just because he slept it off in a field and couldn't find his way home in the pouring rain and just left his family there to slowly bleed to death. Now, Sally, wait a minute. Those are just rumors. Actually, no one knows what happened. Shh. Hey. Uh, Hi. Wow, that smells really good. Um, thanks again for letting me shower and clean up before dinner. Um, I didn't know exactly what to do with the towel, so I just left it over the rack in That's the fine. bathroom. Hey, Steve, you yeah. remember our daughter Sally? Sally. Hey. Hi, Sally. Good to see you again. Nice to see you, too. Hey, what a coincidence. My dad has a shirt just like that. Uh, um, I, I really appreciate you inviting me over um, a home-cooked meal. It's, it's been quite a while since... Uh, yeah, I can't begin to imagine what you've been going through. Yeah, well, it's not as easy as you think. Um, I have, I've not really had a chance to talk to anyone. and uh, Well, you probably figured this out, but uh, I lost my job. And with no one to help out, we got behind, so... Um, ended up having to sell most of our stuff. Hey, Steve, and, um, I know I only invited you over for supper, but you know what? Now that you're here, why don't you stay with us for a while? At least till you get back on your feet. Uh, um, uh, excuse me, we haven't discussed this. Shouldn't we at least have, like, a family meeting or something? Yeah, you know, I Oh, know. come on. Our oldest son's away in the military. We've got extra room. You need a place to stay. Winter's coming, you know. Uh, John, yeah. Sally's right. We do need to have a family meeting about this. Yeah, it's, re it's real nice, but I, I, I tell you what, I'll tell you what, at least until you get another job, you can help out with some things around here. Now, Jane, you know we're both working full-time, and you've got a honeydew list a mile long. Steve can help out with some of that. And maybe run some errands with us. Maybe he can take Sally to volleyball practice for us. <laughs> John? Can I talk to you for a moment? In private, over here. Yes? Now, wait a minute. A meal is one thing, but wait a minute. What if this rumor is true? And what if they're not? What if it was just a tragic, rainy night? Yeah, but John, a meal, a shower is one thing, but this whole scenario, staying with us, I'm really uncomfortable with this. Hey, we have a real chance to make a difference in Steve's life. Shouldn't we try? No one else has. Yeah, but why does it have to be us? Why can't we do our part, let other people do their part? You know, as far as I'm concerned, we're done discussing this. 
And we can talk about it later, after he leaves. It goes back to where? His car? Where's he supposed to stay? We've got an empty room upstairs, and you even wanted to rent it out or bring in an exchange student. Well, here's your chance, and we have a chance to help him get back on his feet. Yeah, but he isn't a renter, John, and we don't know what we're exchanging for. Now, as far as I'm concerned, I told you once, I'm done discussing this. We'll talk about it later. Well, was that the family meeting that I was not invited to? Look, I see what's happening, and uh, I, I can see my way out. Um, you know, John, it's good to see you again. I, I really do appreciate you inviting me over. Not many people would have come up and talked to me, so tell you what, um, tomorrow I'll just drop your clothes off while you're at work, and... and uh, maybe I'll see you around. Uh, Steve, wait a minute. Come back here. Look, dinner's ready. We have more than enough of the three of us, and if you don't stay, it'll just go to waste. She's right. Steve, yeah. at least stay for dinner. We need to do we'll talk some more later. I mean, we're all hungry, and maybe we'll think more clearly after we eat. Love is messy, isn't it? It's just messy. Messy, messy, messy. And what does God want in the middle of messy? What does he want? And what does he want me to do? And why does he want me to do it? And that's what we're going to, that's where we're going this morning. We're going to look at a passage of scripture Um, that will help us know what it is God wants us to do and why God wants us to do it. So so let's pray, and then we're going to get to work. Our Father in heaven, uh, this is a messy world with a lot of hurt, and a lot of brokenness and a lot of mess. It is a world into which you entered, Jesus. And uh, you did not enter with any protective skin or protective suit. You just you just entered. And you delivered us from our mess. And you redeemed us. And you rescued us from a mess of darkness and you brought us into your light. And all that we are or ever hope to be um, is because of you. And so now, open our eyes. Open our eyes that we may see the wonderful things written in your word to the glory of Christ. Amen. Well, I'd like you to turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 10. Luke chapter 10. And we're going to look at a passage of Scripture. That I hope will inform us and teach us and and move us into action 
as we respond to life's, life's mess. And it's the ever familiar parable of the Good Samaritan in Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It's on page 735 of your church Bibles. And I'm going to read this, and you can follow along with me, or uh, it's up on the screen. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What is written in the law, he replied. How do you read it? He answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all of your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and, and love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus replied. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. He wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? In reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, beat him and went away, leaving him half dead. A priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So too, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, took him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day, he took out two silver coins and gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, go. Go. And do likewise. This is God's word. This, this is God's word, and this word, this word, which came as a parable, Jesus did not just wake up that morning and decide to talk about the parable of the Good Samaritan. He just did it. Often when we look at this parable, we just look at the parable. And, and there was a reason for the giving of the parable. Jesus didn't just wake up and say, what am I going to talk about today that will help teach the crowds about the kingdom of God? This happened in a context. And Jesus you know, just didn't say, well, you know, it's been a quiet week in Lake Wobegon, Minnesota, my hometown. Right out there on the prairie. Man was traveling from Duluth to Minneapolis when he was beaten up by a bunch of Baptists. And <laughs> Lutheran minister came by and left him. And, you know that, that's not what. That's not. You no, know, Jesus was in a 
in a teaching situation, maybe much like this, and someone in the audience had a question about his teaching. That's what the context was. And so there's a story going on. There's a story within a story. And what you need to understand about this particular story is that it's got, there's kind of a play-by-play that happens here. It's really interesting. Really interesting. It says on one occasion, an expert in the law, not secular law, but theology. He was a theologian. A theologian, an expert in the law, in the Old Testament law. Stood up, stood up. That's what would happen back then when students had a question that they wanted to ask the teacher. They wouldn't raise their hand, they would stand, and that was, an, that was a sign of respect, you see. Ah, but not all questions are honest questions, are they? No, no. And what, we, what, what happens here is a, you know, a, a, a theological debate is about to take place because he stood up to test Jesus. He wanted to, he wanted to mix it up with the master. Luke chapter 20, verse 20 says that the scribes and the Pharisees sent spies who pretended to be honest. So the motive was not really to learn. The motive was to, to try to discredit Jesus. I mean, you've been in situations, have you not, where someone will ask a question, but they don't want to learn. They want to try to either impress the crowd or discredit the person up front. That's what's going on here. And so what we have is kind of a, for lack of a better term, it's a, it's a two-round theological debate. A two-round theological boxing match. Huh? That's what we've got here. And round one, it, it, it looks like this. There's a question, and then there's a question, and there's an answer, and then there's an answer, and that's round one. The lawyer asks the question, Jesus responds with the question. Then the lawyer gives an answer, and Jesus responds with an answer. That's round one. And then round two is, the lawyer asks another question, and then Jesus asks another question question, but before he asks his question, he tells the parable. And then there's the answer, and then there's the answer. That's what's going on here. So that's a two-round boxing match. As he stands up to test Jesus, he says, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? First question. What must I do? Now, that's a bad question, isn't it? It is. You know why, don't you? What do people have to do to inherit anything? Nothing. (laughs) Nothing. No, an inheritance by its very nature is a gift. And so it's a bad question, but Jesus is working with him. (laughs) Right? So Jesus responds with a question, doesn't he? He says, well, he asks a question, Jesus responds with a question. Well, you're the expert. What's written in the law? You tell me. And, and so then he answers the question. He answers with the Shema. The Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all your soul, with all your 
strength and with all of your mind. Deuteronomy chapter 6, the Shema. Love God. Love God. And, and that was such an important verse that uh, I've got a picture of it up here. Back then, the, the and even today, the, those committed to the Torah and to the law would have these boxes strapped around their head and these boxes strapped around their arms and they were called phylacteries and in those phylacteries in those leather boxes would be scraps of scripture and on those scriptural pages would be what this teacher of the law just quoted Deuteronomy 6 love the Lord your God with all of your heart and with all of your soul and with all of your strength and with all of your mind. And then he added this from the book of Leviticus chapter 19, love your neighbor as yourself. Love God, love people. And Jesus, that was his answer. And Jesus answered. Question, question, answer, answer. And Jesus says, you have answered correctly, Jesus replied. And then Jesus says, do this and you will live. Now that is scripture. That's Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. You see what's going on? Jesus is mirroring him. Question, question, answer, answer. In fact, his answer was a scriptural quotation. Well, so is Jesus, all right? That's right. Do this and you will live. And, and if, you, if, if you love God with all of your heart and all of your soul and all of your mind and all of your strength all the time and you love your neighbor as yourself, then you don't need grace. You don't. You will, you'll just march right smack dab into heaven. You've answered correctly. And the teacher then realized he was kind of in a pickle, wasn't he? Because he answered a question that he couldn't possibly live up to his answer. Because, you see, he wanted to justify himself. He want, that's what it says, right? Oh, he wanted to justify himself. Isn't that our problem? Isn't, that the, isn't really that the sole reason why there's so much brokenness and so much hurt and so much pain? Because we spend, we spend so much time trying to justify ourselves whenever there is an argument, whenever things go south at work. Whenever someone loses a game, whenever there's, a, there, there's some problem, whether business or politics or what have you, even in church, even with family relationships, we want to justify ourselves. We want to tell all the reasons why we're not responsible. There, somebody else is responsible. We're deflecting it all, and it goes back to our father, Adam, in Genesis chapter 3. What was the very first thing out of Adam's mouth when God confronted him about his sin in the Garden of Eden? What did he say? The woman that you put here, this woman that you put here, what she did, and we've been doing that ever since. Yeah, we have. See, see, self-justification comes out of self-love, and that comes out of self-delusion. This guy doesn't think, this guy doesn't want anybody to justify him. He can do it himself. So, but, but he's got to do a word study first. <laughs> That's what he's got. He's got to, he's got to let, let, okay, well, let's, let's, let's do a little Hebrew study here, okay? Uh, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Huh? And that's round two. 
And now Jesus tells the parable. And he tells about a man going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he fell into the hands of robbers. Jerusalem to Jericho, about 17 miles. About 17 miles. For our purposes, let's just say it is, it is exactly from this point right here underneath this roof to Monticello. 17 miles, just for our purposes, with the exception that there's a 4,000-foot change in elevation. Really? A 4,000-foot change in elevation from, from Jerusalem to Jericho, 17 miles, but Jerusalem was 4,000 feet higher than Jericho, and so it was, it was a long, craggly winding, and now you know why there were robbers there, because they could hide, and, and ambushes were were very, and, uh, uh, very regular. And they stripped him of his clothes and beat him, probably because he resisted. And they went away, leaving him half dead. So there's no way to make a positive identification because the clothes that you wore back then were really like name tags. I mean, they could really, you could identify someone in our country here, you can't always identify the rich and the poor by their clothes. Not always, not always. Sometimes you can, but not always. Now, back then, it was pretty much always. You could tell people, and, but you couldn't tell in this situation. There was no, was he, was, he a, was he a Hebrew brother? Was he an infidel? Was he a Jewish? Was he Greek? Was he Roman? There, we, we just don't know. There's no way to tell, and that's that's on purpose, and that's, that's when the priest, verse 31, happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he saw so the priest. Why? why? Why is he coming down the same road? Because he's going home. He's been in Jerusalem. He's been at the temple. He served his two-week stint, he's, and then he's on his way home, which means you can tell he is very well-dressed. That's because the priests were, and he's very wealthy. The priests were. And he is, and, and he's wealthy enough, he can afford his own ride. So he's on a donkey. And he's on his way. He's just served there in the temple. And he sees this guy. And, and, and he's looking. And so he doesn't know. He doesn't know who he is. And there's a lot of questions. It's getting really complicated, really fast. I mean, if this guy is dead and he touches him, well, then, you know, that makes this priest ceremonially unclean. That means it got to go all the way back up to Jerusalem, uphill, and stay at the temple and go through purification. And it's work, 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 work. And, 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 and you know, robbers attacked this guy, which means that they, there may still be robbers. Do I want to stick around to find out? You know, see you in heaven. And he goes to Jer- Jericho. That's what we got going on here. Jesus says so too, a Levite, a Levite. Now, what's the difference between a priest and a Levite? Here's the difference. All of the priests were Levites from the tribe of Levi, the priestly tribe. All of the priests were Levites, but not all Levites were priests. That's the difference. And so this particular Levite was probably an assistant, maybe even assistant to that priest. And so, so to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, he passed by on the other side. We see the boss was there earlier, and the boss passed him by. Don't want to show up the boss. Can you imagine scooping this guy up, and putting him on the donkey, and he goes down to the inn, and then he runs into the boss, and 
yeah, I don't want to do that. See you in heaven. He goes. Now, the listeners in the audience know exactly who's going to be the hero. They do. They do, because you see, the priest and the Levi, they represent the establishment. They represent the enemy. They represent all of the religiosity, the corporate bureaucracy, and the hypocrisy that's rampant in, in, in the Jerusalem temple system. And so, so they're, just, they're just the bad guys. And so, but the good guys are the Hebrew farmers and the Hebrew fishermen, and they're the commoners, and they're... It's going to be a Hebrew farmer and fisherman that's going to come to the rescue and help this guy. They know the guy's going to be rescued. I mean, that's what's going to happen, but they know it's going to be a Hebrew. And that's when Jesus lobs the live grenade. When he says, but a Samaritan. A Samaritan. A Samaritan. The centuries old enemy of Israel, someone racially different, someone theologically different, someone who took their religious beliefs and tenets from a different truth source. Oh, listen, the rabbis, the rabbis had this saying, he who eats the bread of Samaritans is as he who eats the flesh of swine. Now, Samaritans didn't get any Christmas cards, I'll tell you that. (laughs) And in fact, the rabbis also said that if a Hebrew was lying on the road, wounded, and a Samaritan came up to offer help, it was perfectly okay for that Hebrew to curse the Samaritan and to shoot him along the way. I'd, I'd rather be dead than to live through getting help from a Samaritan. Whoa. Centuries old enemy of Israel. What we're talking about is this is like making this is like making the president of Iran the hero in an Israeli play. That's what's going on here. And what happens though is this Samaritan, my goodness, he sees him came to where the man was. The Bible says in verse 33, when he saw him, he took took pity on him. He took, here's the word, splanknon on him. Kind of get our word spleen. He felt it. Someone once described compassion as your hurt in my heart. He took splanknon. He felt it in the gut over this poor soul, this poor traveler. And and notice what he did. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Why is that significant? It's significant because these are temple elements. That's why. I mean, the priests and the Levite, they were handling the oil and the wine all during their stint in the temple. But somehow it has not connected to them that that which they are doing inside the temple, the elements of the temple and the elements of worship within the temple, those very elements are supposed to be put into play out in the real world. And the priest and the Levite don't connect that, but the centuries-old enemy of Israel, the Samaritan, does. He gets it. He gets it. And then on top of that, 
You know, he put the man on his own donkey, which meant he walked. And then he took him to an inn. Took him to an inn. Archaeologists have found no inns between Jerusalem and Jericho. So that means he went all the way down to Jericho. Now remember, Jericho, a Hebrew place where there was a Hebrew inn where he took this Hebrew wounded traveler. He said, I thought you said there wasn't a positive ID. No, 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 no. Once we know who the hero is, we know who the wounded person is, you see. So, I mean, get this. So this, it's 1951, and this African-American sees this wounded white guy on this rural county Confederate flag-waving wherever in America sees this person, scoops him up, puts him in his car, drives to this small little town where everybody knows everybody's business, and goes to the motel that says, for whites only, and then offers to check the guy in to pay for three weeks. Three weeks. That's what the two silver coins were going to pay for. Three weeks of lodging. And the three weeks of lodging, you see, and then he says, you know, whatever he owes, when I come back, I'll reimburse. Because if he didn't do that, then the innkeeper could put the guy into debtor's prison for failure to pay his bill. So the guy co-signs on that, you see. And so here he's got this, so you got this African-American guy taking this white guy in this small white, everybody knows every business town, to this four whites only motel and explaining the situation and getting the guy set up and then he's got to leave town before everybody else in town the mob begins to gather wondering what did you do to this white guy you feel the risk there have you ever been a part of that risk Hmm? that's risk right here this is what we're talking about risk Risking love, meeting needs with love. And you know what? Maybe that looks like, maybe, maybe that looks like letting Steve stay till he get back, gets back on his feet. And, and yeah, maybe, maybe that does look like, you know, processing it a little bit more smoothly than what happened out here. But that's real life. Or maybe that means stocking up your glove compartment with some fast food certificates so that you know what you can give someone if you happen to see them out or they ask you. Maybe that looks like befriending that person at work who is definitely marginalized. You know who they are. You can picture them in your mind right now. And no matter what anybody else says or thinks, you go and you befriend that person and you love that person and you have lunch with that person and you engage in a conversation with that person. Maybe that's what that looks like. And maybe it looks like at home putting the paper down or closing the laptop lid and tending to the emotional wounds of those in your family who feel stripped from the day and emotionally half dead and, 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 and family and friends who don't need you to fix as much as they just need you to listen maybe that's what that means huh? and yeah yeah 
It means signing up for a weekend of service. Of course, that's what that means. It does. We want to be intentional. And we want more than just 37% placements. We want 100% because there's going to be plenty of work that weekend. That's what that means. That's what that means. Meeting needs with love. Um, On July the 1st, Sarah and I returned from three weeks in Turkey. And we arrived at O'Hare Airport uh, 3 p.m. That's what time the plane was supposed to land. Uh, We had to stay the night in Switzerland. So we flew from Istanbul to Zurich, had to stay the night there, and then we flew out of Zurich. It was a nine-hour flight. And I had arranged to have a shuttle bring us from O'Hara to Champaign so that the boys could just pick us up at the shuttle site and not have to go up to the Chicago. I had arranged to have a shuttle, but I wanted to make sure there was enough margin, you know, between landing of the plane and going through customs. So I had, so we, I scheduled us to, the shuttle to pick us up at at 6.40. So the shuttle was going to come to the terminal at 6.40 to pick us up and then take us home. So because I just wanted to make sure there was enough margin, because, you know, how long was custom going to take and getting through baggage and bag check and all of that hassle and passports and stamping and answering questions and so forth. The plane landed on time at 3 o'clock, and, and so we, you know, went through all of the baggage and went through all the customs, and uh, we finally got processed out, and, and we, were, we were ready to be picked up at, uh, by 3.50, Sarah says, well, we have margin. <laughs> we have margin. And uh, so, I, I, so I, I've, got a, a, um, I've got my $20 Walgreens uh, card, phone card. And so I call the shuttle place. I said, well, can we, can, is there any way we can get on the 530 shuttle? I said, no, nobody signed up for it, so we didn't send a vehicle. You're going to have to wait till 640. I said, oh, okay. So I called, I called home, I called mom, let her know we were here. Then I uh, you know, called the boys and let, her, you know, let them know we, we were home and you know, start cleaning up. And so we, uh, um, then I, I called the church and you know, ca- talked to Nancy Anderson and you know, we're, we're home and everything. And, and so, well, it was about quarter till five then. So it's like, okay. So at five o'clock, I... I am sitting down, and, you know, Chicago says it's 5 p.m. My body says it's, you know, 1 a.m. I am dying. I mean, I go to bed at 9.30, folks. I mean, I go to bed pretty, at 9.17, all heavy conversations are off, man. I mean, I just, you know, really. (laughs) So, so, but um, I am just, I am just aching. And so I told Sarah, I said, I got to stand up and walk or I'm just going to die. So I go and I'm walking in the terminal and everything. And I'm just kind of looking around. I'm standing there, just took a big, deep breath. And uh, all of a sudden, I felt uh, someone tapping me on my shoulder. I turn around and there was a uh, 20-year-old girl, blonde hair, really pretty eyes, red rim, she was about ready to start crying her eyes out. She said, Greyhound. I said, Greyhound, Greyhound? She says, Greyhound. I said, Greyhound, Greyhound bus? She says, Greyhound bus. And uh, she, she spoke 
perfect Russian, no English. And I said, you need a Greyhound bus? You need to try to find out the Greyhound bus because she had her bags and everything with her. You need a Greyhound bus. You need to try to find the Greyhound bus. And she said, Greyhound bus. And I said, I don't know. This is an airport. I, um, and she didn't understand that. But I'm talking and, I, so I'm, and I'm, okay, well, let me go find some, in, let, me go, let me go to the information desk. So I went to the information desk and got none. And so I come back and, I'm, and she's just about ready to start crying. And I'm thinking, okay. You know, I can, we can fix this. We can, Greyhound bus. I said, come with me. I'm going to, let's go meet my wife. I pointed to my, you know, my ring. Let's come and see my wife. She teaches English as a second language. She can help communicate with you, right? (laughs) Makes perfect sense to me. So I go and I'm bringing her and and I'm talking to Sarah, explaining the whole situation to her. And after I'm done talking and explaining and this person's name is Christina and Greyhound Bus and Sarah says to me, first thing out of her mouth is, honey, first thing, can you just lower your voice? Because (laughs) if she can't understand English, she's not going to understand loud English, okay? So... You, you know, you talk like you're ordering Chinese. Stop that. You know, just, you know, really. And so, um, right? I mean, I, I talked really loudly in Turkey <laughs> when we were in Turkey. You know, that's what you do, right? And so I explained the situation, and somehow we were able to get some information from her. She had come here to work at a location in Fish Creek, Wisconsin. So I get this information and I get the number of her supervisor and trying to make a connection, trying to figure out that she's got to get this Greyhound bus. And so I call on my wall card, Walgreens phone card that was $20, did I tell you? And I'm burning through some minutes here trying to talk to the supervisor and that this girl is here from Russia. Her name's Christina. Don't hang up. My name's Randy. I know you've never heard from me, but I'm trying to help this person get to where you need her and can you help me help her? And she says, uh, yes, I can. And by the way, where is Fish Creek, Wisconsin? And the supervisor says, we're, we're in Door County. I said, how is she going to get from O'Hara Airport to Door County? How do you expect her to do that? Well, she was supposed to take the Greyhound bus. I know, but there's, this is not a bus port. This is an airport. I mean, I am animated here because we we're, we're getting emotionally invested in this situation. And so she said, well, I... I I know that there's not a bus station there at the airport, Mr. Bowlinghouse. I know there are bus stations in the Chicagoland area. Find one for me, will you? So there's four. And, and long story short, the one that she needed to be on was an hour from now. And then I told the lady on the supervisor, I said, look, we got a shuttle, and, and it's, I got till 6.40, you know? And so, in the meantime, Sarah has gone to get lunch for this girl, and, and she keeps offering us money. I said, no, we're not taking. And so, so uh, we, finally, we finally realize that, that she's got four locations, four bus stops, that a bus is going to take her to Green Bay, and then she's going to go down Rendezvous. Well, which of the four bus stations? Well, I don't know. Well, how do you mean you don't know? I mean, how are we going to help her? And, And finally, well, you know, just send her to the one downtown because I think that's the one. You think that's the one. Are you? That's the only option we have right now, sir. And so 
we got her and we, we're out here and she's still offering us money. I said, no, and she's got food and we're out on the, on the side. And I go, to the, I go to, the, to the cab manager and I said, okay, she's got to go to, from the O'Hara Airport downtown to the bus station, you know, by the Dan Ryan. And so, and, and I look at the guy, I said, hey, she's a pretty Russian girl and she can't speak a, any English other than Greyhound. I said, I'm going to put her in that cab. Tell me she's going to be okay. Tell me she's going to be okay. I'm not letting her in unless you tell. She's going to be okay, sir, really, I promise. Are you sure? Yes. Okay. We put her in. And the last, the last that Sarah and I saw of her was, you know, she, was, she turned around. She was in the back seat looking out the window, waving at us. Why? I'm just going, oh, Lord, I hope, you know. And later on, we found out that she made the bus at 7.30 from downtown to Green Bay, and the supervisor picked her up, and she's happy in Door County, Fish Creek. And we've been invited to go up, and I'm going to take all of you with me. <laughs> and, you know, praise God, right? And, and when it was all said and done, I, I told Sarah, I said, now I know why we weren't supposed to take the 5.30 shuttle. Now I know why. Yeah. And, and I'm so glad that I was able to see the situation for what it was. An opportunity. An opportunity. Because I could have easily, and I can easily tell you another story about me pulling up at an intersection where there's a guy holding a sign that says, we'll work for food, and he is right outside my window. I can roll down my window and push him down. But I wouldn't even look at him because I didn't want to be bothered. So I'm not batting a thousand at this Samaritan thing, but I want to get better. I want to get better, and I want to see... I want to see the situation for what it is. Not an intrusion, but an opportunity. And that's when Jesus then says, Now, professor, which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robber? So you see the second bad question. The guy asked the question, And who is my neighbor? And Jesus says, Bad question. Number two. The right question is the best question, the better question. The question I want you to ask is, how can I become a neighbor? How can I become a neighbor? And the expert in the law replied, he wouldn't even say, he couldn't even, he couldn't even bring himself to say Samaritan, could he? He simply said, the one who had mercy on him. And Jesus said, now you go and do likewise. Do you hear what Jesus is saying? I want you to be the neighbor to those in need because Christ has been the neighbor in your need. He has. You know the other John 3.16, don't you? We know the first one, right? For God so loved the world. Here's the other John 3.16. It's 1 John 3.16. This is how we know what love is. Jesus Christ laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for our brothers. If anyone has material possessions and sees his brother in need but has no pity on him, how can the love of God be in him? Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. Stop asking who I can or can't love. 
This person that you think is so far from God, that's the person God wants in his family. And Christ wants this, you know, Christ wants this expert in the law to know that the Samaritan has something he can teach him. And Christ wants this expert in the law to know that that Jesus is redrawing the boundaries beyond Abraham's seed. In Christ, the seed of Abraham are all who come to Jesus by grace through faith. Jesus says that being Israel goes beyond the genetics or ethnicity of Jewishness. And thus Jesus is taking the temple itself to task. He's calling into question the whole system of temple worship, which was all about segregation. And that kind of talk will get you crucified. And that's what happened. That's exactly what happened. And, and, and it was just that. Christ's death and burial and resurrection destroyed the dividing wall of hostility. As Paul writes in Ephesians 2. Because you see, this parable is really the gospel. Jesus, the outsider, who did what no insider could or would do, at great cost, he entered the picture. And that wounded person was never the same again, was he? And so the way I see myself, see, will influence how I see others. Because you see, God has treated me with so much love that I've got plenty to share. I've got plenty to share. This is not a morality tale. This is me knowing that Jesus Christ has served me and loved me and saved me and rescued me and given me so much that there's plenty for me to share. There's plenty for me to share. And that's why Jesus says to Martha a few verses later, basically he says, come and sit. (laughs) He doesn't tell Martha, go and do, does he? Just a few verses later, he basically says, Martha, you gotta come and sit because you need to receive from me before you start serving. Have you received from Jesus today? If you haven't, then you don't have enough. You don't have enough, you're still trying to justify yourself. But to God's people, to those who've been redeemed, Jesus is calling us right here, right now. Some people are here right now and you're feeling emotionally stripped and bare. Are we gonna reach out before you leave? Will you please do that? Will you? Will you, you, know, will you say to those, not, not you know, do I know you? What color are you? Are you of my religion? Are you of my family, tribe, background? Will you simply say, you look like you have a need I'm your neighbor for today. I'm your neighbor for today. Be the neighbor to those in need because Christ has been and will be the neighbor in yours. Get it? Good. Good. Now go and do. No, I mean it. Go. And do.